You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Uh, if we've not met before, my name is Matt Villoyan. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here along with Pastor John. Uh, and we uh, are fresh off, as of about 10 days ago, the, a sabbatical uh, that we got to spend uh, 12 weeks away this summer. Uh, and so I just want to start this morning, even before we dive into uh, the Word of God and our sermon series, just by saying thank you. Um, really want to express deep gratitude um, from myself, on behalf of my wife Shay, on behalf of our three girls. Um, the sabbatical really was a gift uh, to us and our family. Uh, a highlight of it was just the sweet family time. It was, it was really um, good for Shay and I, for our marriage. Uh, it was really good for our, our family life uh, with our kids. Uh, there was a lot of kindness from God over those 12 weeks, uh, particularly in, in a renewed and increased gratitude uh, for you, the people of this church, uh, and a renewed and increased gratitude for the leaders and the teams um, of Liberty Church. Uh, there was a renewed perspective for me that came in not being so tunnel vision about Liberty Church and, and, and what I need to do on a Sunday morning that I was able to actually see people that live around us that have no apparent meaningful connection to a local church uh, are probably not Christians and just gain perspective there for, for what we hope to do and be in the world and see other people come to faith in Christ. Um, these are things that are easy to lose sight of uh, in the day in and day out grind uh, of life and ministry. So it was, a, it was a real gift to step away from that. Uh, there wasn't a, uh, a spiritual mountaintop experience. Um, there was no new kind of big revelation uh, for my life. And thankfully, I had been coached by some wiser and older individuals who have done sabbatical before not to necessarily expect something like that. Um, so as I start to fall, I, I would love, I wish I found in my heart this morning um, more zeal. Uh, and a deeper love for Jesus than what I do find there. Uh, and I know my own life and my own personality. Uh, I am one who will constantly uh, keep myself busy and at times miss what Jesus says to Martha is the one necessary thing that Mary chooses, which is to sit at the feet of Jesus, to attend to God, um, to be in communion with him, uh, and not just to busy yourself with the activities and things of life. So I, I'm coming back from sabbatical even with fresh conviction uh, of how that's true in my own life, uh, fresh conviction in, in prayerlessness, and that I just default to trying to put more uh, effort and energy to make things happen, uh, when in reality it's only the Holy Spirit that can do things powerfully in our hearts and in our minds. But what I'm also grateful for is that it took stepping out of the busyness to even have my eyes opened in a fresh way to see those things. Uh, and so I'm grateful for that, and I'm grateful um, especially, and I would be, it would totally be, uh, inappropriate to, to miss this. You, you've heard other people stand up front in the past couple weeks and honor the teams we have here and the leaders of our church, but I want to I also do that myself. Uh, and I wish Pastor John was in here, but he just had to run out and teach a class last minute. Um, so Pastor John and Jess, our elders and their wives, our staff, our deacons, their spouses, um, can we honor them? Can we give them a round of applause and thank them? They, they truly um, stepped up and, and took on a lot of responsibility that made it even possible in the first place uh, for us to have that sabbatical. We don't take that for granted, uh, and I hope you don't take it for granted. I hope that it was um, even a gift to you to see 
uh, just the, the capable, uh, quality people that we have here at this church and that serve and lead uh, in a variety of those, um, those capacities. So um, thank you now for, for welcoming us back, too. Uh, I will say this. It's, it's good to be back, and I truly mean that in all sincerity. It is good to be back, uh, and I'm freshly aware that this is one of the, uh, the real privileges and joys of my life that I get to serve uh, and be one of the pastors of, um, of Liberty Church. So thank you for letting us go, and thank you for also uh, welcoming us back. Uh, we are down to uh, our last two weeks in the uh, Foundations series that you guys have been in over the summer. I hope you've been appreciating hearing more from Pastor John as well as various other pastors that we love and labor alongside. Uh, you've had a lot of faces up here over the summer, which, is, which I hope has been encouraging to you to see that we are part of something bigger uh, than what you just see here on a given Sunday morning. Uh, this morning, uh, we're considering baptism and the Lord's Supper, both of those things. Uh, and so as I, as I was jumping back in uh, last week, I had the thought, well, that's kind of a lot to tackle uh, all in one morning. It's kind of a lot to do. Uh, I mean, let's take these incredibly significant things that the church has, and people in the church have written endless words about, not to mention divided over and even killed each over in, in years gone by. It's one of the most historically contentious doctrinal topics. And let's go ahead and tackle both of those in the same Sunday. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? So I want to preface our time, I want to preface our time with this. Uh, we will not say everything that could be said about baptism and the Lord's Supper today. And, and that's not even close. We won't even get close to that. So consider this this morning, just a a hopefully faithful uh, but brief survey. And if you want to learn more, uh, let us put some great resources in your hands that will help you do uh, a deeper dive. Just as importantly, I hope that you will consider with me this morning the worth of baptism in the Lord's Supper. Uh, and you would actually leave this morning with a sense of how empty and how barren and how lacking the church, and even life itself would be without these two sacraments. And so here's the question I want to ask just at the outset this morning. What would the church be without the sacraments? What would the church be without baptism and the Lord's Supper? If in your gut your initial reaction is, well, it'd be pretty much the same. We'd, we'd still gather to sing some songs. Uh, we'd hear someone teach from the Bible. We'd gather with other people throughout the week in various places. All of that is great. All of that's great. But if without baptism in the Lord's Supper, you wouldn't immediately feel this gigantic void, then I pray that the Spirit of God, even this morning, would give you different lenses. That you would long for the time in our weekly gatherings, in our weekly worship services, when we come to this table. That you would anticipate the days of the year like this one, where we get to see people baptized. That you would even long for more of those days to happen throughout the year. Doctrine, the, the theme of this entire series that we've been in over the summer, it's about living in light of what God has revealed. It starts with this assumption that this is God's world, and that therefore he gets to narrate the story. And so it is a tragedy for us when we skip over the beauty of what God has revealed, what God has given us in the sacraments of baptism and communion, and we speed so quickly into these questions of who, what, when, where, why, how, and a favorite of many, at least in Protestant circles, is it necessary for salvation? 
So let me give you the short and very reductionistic answer to that question at the start. No, they're not necessary. I think there will be people in heaven who have never been baptized. I think there will be people in heaven who have perhaps never taken the Lord's Supper. And I think that's completely the wrong question. It's like a good and kind father saying to his child, here is everything I have. Everything I have is yours. And the child responding, do I have to take it? Do I have to? These are gifts from the hand of God to his people. In our right minds, we would not want to live in a world that lacked these regular, tangible ways of receiving the grace of God. So by all means, let's be people who plumb the depths of Scripture to see what God has revealed and teaches about these things. But may it always lead to a renewed and to an increased astonishment at what God in Christ has done for us. Our doctrinal and confessional statement reads like this. It will be on the slide behind me. We believe that baptism and the Lord's Supper are ordained by the Lord Jesus himself. The former, meaning baptism, is connected with entrance into the new covenant community. The latter, meaning the Lord's Supper, with ongoing covenant renewal. Together, they are simultaneously God's pledge to us, divinely ordained means of grace, our public vows of submission to the once crucified and now resurrected Christ, and anticipations of his return and the consummation of all things. It's a lot packed into that statement. Uh, This statement actually summarizes a couple dozen different passages from the Bible, and so this morning we'll only look at two of those. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 14, and then we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 29. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and start with Colossians chapter 2. Uh, if you're using one of those black hardcover Bibles, page 984 is where you will find that first passage. And I invite you now to listen with open ears to this book that we love. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. These he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And now flip back a few pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, page 958, if you're using one of those uh, same black hardcover Bibles there. And I'm going to start in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, uh, and read through verse 29. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it 
and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Glorious God, your son has taught us that we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry, even now in this moment, for your word, that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life. And we pray this through Jesus Christ, who is the bread of heaven. Amen. So in light of these two texts, uh, and the doctrinal and confessional statement that we read just a moment ago, two things uh, for us to consider together this morning. What are the sacraments, number one? And what difference do they make? Number two. So first, what are the sacraments? The, the doctrinal and confessional statement answers this question with four really loaded phrases. And so I just want to step our way through those, at least briefly this morning. The first one is that baptism and the Lord's Supper are God's pledge to us. God's pledge to us. Uh, in other words, though they are a public profession of our faith, and we'll talk about that more in a minute, they are first and foremost not about us, but about what God has done to save us, what God has done to keep us. They are about his promises that he has made to us as his people. You heard the word perhaps covenant appear multiple times in our liturgy this morning and even in that statement. The sacraments are a picture and a reminder of that covenant. You've heard, uh, perhaps before, if you've been part of Liberty for any period of time, you've heard myself or other pastors or elders here say that the sacraments are the gospel, the good news of Jesus, made visible. So we should back up and ask, well, what is the gospel? In short, the gospel is that God saves sinners. God saves sinners. What God created is good, what humanity, what you and I corrupted through our sin, Jesus has redeemed through his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus is and will make all things new. This gospel is the one that is enacted, embodied, and displayed in baptism and the Lord's Supper. They, they commemorate, they remember, and they celebrate what he has done. Baptism, specifically, as we'll witness together later this afternoon, uh, is a picture of washing and renewal. Uh, it's a picture of death to our old self and resurrection to new life. As Colossians 2, 12 through 14 puts it, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Baptism is a picture of that great work, that we were dead in our sin, but that we have now been made alive. The Lord's Supper is a picture of Jesus' sacrificial work that makes that possible. 1 Corinthians 11, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus offered up his body. He poured out his blood for the salvation of his people. 
God promised, he pledged, to use the language of the doctrinal confessional statement, to give life with him forever to all who believe. And so in the Lord's Supper, we see a display, a depiction, an enacting of how he accomplished that, how he brought that promise to fruition. As Jesus himself says in John chapter 7, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of the bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So it's a God's pledge to us. That's the sacraments. They're God's pledge to us. Second, baptism and the Lord's Supper are also, as the statement puts it, divinely ordained means of grace. Divinely ordained means of grace. Divinely ordained in that this is not the invention of, of people. Uh, it's not the invention of people or any particular church tradition or church group. People didn't get together someday and just say, you know what, we need some kind of ceremony to make it a little more significant. These are things that actually have been given to us from God. Jesus himself instituted and calls his, the, his people uh, to these two sacred acts. We read the recounting of that in 1 Corinthians 11 about the Lord's Supper when he instituted that. And then in places like Matthew 28 specifically, in his Great Commission, Jesus tells his disciples to, among other things, baptize future followers of Christ in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then there's this phrase in there, they're divinely ordained, but they're means of grace. Means of grace. And by that we mean that these are acts in which you and I can uniquely receive the grace of God. We, of course, receive the grace of God in, in, in all moments of our lives. Every breath that, that you and I take is an act of God's grace poured out to us. We would not exist. We would not have woken up this morning apart from the grace of God. But there's a unique way in baptism and the Lord's Supper in which we get to taste that grace and that we get to experience our union with Jesus. Without time to get into all the different theological views on this, let, let me just clarify what what we mean when we affirm this statement. Some people, some traditions, too closely associate the sacraments with salvation. And by that, they would mean that regardless of whether you have faith in Jesus or not, if you are baptized, if you drink the wine and eat the bread, if you just do those actions, you will experience salvation. But scripture is unbelievably clear. There is no union with Christ apart from faith in him and what he has done. On the other hand, some people don't associate the sacraments closely enough with salvation. They become merely a remembrance, merely a memorial. And scripture teaches us that though it is certainly a memorial, it is certainly a remembrance, it is not less than that. It's just infinitely more than that. It's not merely commemoration, in other words, it is also a participation. Did you hear the repetition in Colossians chapter 2? in regards to baptism specifically. You've been filled in him. In him you were circumcised, buried with him in baptism, raised with him through faith, made alive together with him. This is the language of union with Christ. So baptism doesn't just remember and display this. In a mysterious way, we actually participate with Jesus in the work that he has accomplished on our behalf. We are brought into his saving work. Baptism specifically is about entrance into the people of God, the beginning of our union with him. The Lord's Supper then is ongoing participation in that union. And likewise then, the Lord's Supper is not merely remembrance either. 
As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, just a chapter before the one that we have been looking at today, he writes, this bread is participation in the body of Christ. This blood is participation in the blood of Christ. And so when you and I receive these elements by faith, we are renewed in the grace of God. We are renewed in our union with Jesus in a way, think about this, that no other act, no other moment in our lives makes possible. Do you ever find yourself wondering if God is actually there? Do you ever find yourself wondering if God is there, why he seems so silent and longing for him to speak, to give clarity about maybe a big decision in your life or about what's going to happen in the future? Do you ever find yourself longing for God to change you? And by that, if you're like me, what I often mean is to, to instantly microwave a better version of myself. If someone lets on that they've got an answer to these things, do we not feel a pull immediately in that moment to go read their book or listen to their podcast or go to their conference or go to their church or whatever it might be to get that secret sauce, to get that, that silver bullet? What I want you to see in the sacraments is that God has spoken and God does speak. Jesus has shown us the way and thanks be to God, he's not just given us a path, he has given us himself. His grace Union with him now and forever. He, give, he has given us these means of grace in baptism and in the Lord's Supper. These are sometimes called in some old school language, ordinary means of grace. Quote, unquote, ordinary means of grace. And in one sense, they are ordinary. They're regular. They're not novel. They're not trendy. They're not even emotionally charged much of the time. But in another sense, these are absolutely extraordinary. Nothing else in the world lets you tangibly experience your union with Jesus like these two acts. Before moving on, just a, a brief word about the who part of baptism and baptizing babies specifically. Uh, at Liberty Church, we believe, along with other faithful Christians, that those who come to faith in Jesus Christ should be baptized. Uh, we also believe, not necessarily with all other faithful Christians, that there's solid biblical basis to baptize the children uh, of parents who believe. And to do that, not uh, as a sign of their faith, uh, their own profession of faith, but as a sign of entrance into the people of God, into the community of the church. There's a lot of important explanation. There's a lot of important clarification that needs to go into that. If you've been with us when we've baptized a child here at our church, you've heard me explain perhaps at least a good bit of that. And if you've also been here for any period of time at our church, you know that uh, this is not something that everyone here who's in covenant with this church agrees with and believes. Uh, so within a range, and I think this is really healthy and I'm grateful for how we've played this out together over the last eight years or so, within a range, we have unity and diversity on this topic. Uh, and time doesn't permit me to kind of walk through the differences there about why we do that and, and the different perspectives on that. But what I would just say to you is that we, want you, we don't want you to live on a fence about that either. Uh, we want you to have a lot of charity for the, the people in this room that have the, the, the different view than you might hold. But we want you to drill down on what you understand the Bible to teach about that and to have a perspective. And then just to have a lot of charity toward the people that have the other perspective on that. And I'm grateful for how we've pursued that together. I'm grateful for how we see that play out in the life of our church. 
If you would like to learn more about that, to dig into that deeper, we've got some resources that we've put together some years back. Uh, we'd be happy to put that in your hands and follow up uh, with some conversations. So just let us know, and we'll do that. Third, third thing in the doctrinal statement, it says that the sacraments are public vows of submission. Public vows of submission. So though they are primarily about God and the work that he has done, there is also in them our own profession, our own commitment to Jesus. Another way to say it is this. The sacraments are not only commemoration and participation, as we've already seen. They are also proclamation. We proclaim publicly in these acts, I belong to Jesus. He is the one that I follow. He is the one that has my primary allegiance. To be baptized is to proclaim that initially. And so in about an hour or so, we'll get to see Marin Reek and Elijah Robinson affirm five vows publicly. They'll get to affirm that they have come to know and to trust in Jesus and that they want to follow him for the rest of their lives. Likewise, when we receive communion at this table every week, that is to proclaim over and over again that we belong to Jesus. As 1 Corinthians 11.26 put it, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you what? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so in that way, these two sacraments working together, it's something like marriage. Something like marriage. On your wedding day, you make a public commitment, a public profession of your love for another person. But if you were to never say anything about your love for that person ever again, if you were never to talk about them, if you were to compartmentalize that part of your life and all the years that followed, that would be really concerning and really strange. It would call into question, would it not, the sincerity of the commitment of the profession that you made in the first place. On the flip side, it would also be strange to proclaim commitment and submission to Jesus by regularly taking communion when you'd never been baptized. It'd be like saying you love someone, professing your love for someone years on end, but never actually taking the step to get married to them. And so you'll often hear myself or another elder up here from the front say before we take communion that we invite you to come to this table and to participate with us uh, if you are a Christian and if you've been baptized. And the baptism part tends to throw people every now and then. At least a dozen or so times over the last several years, it throws people. It, it stands out at least if it doesn't throw you. But this is exactly why we say that. Because baptism is this sign of entrance, this initial public vow. The Lord's Supper is the, the ongoing participation, the, the renewal of the vow. And it would be odd to continue when you haven't started. And it would be odd to renew vows that you never actually made in the first place. Even more importantly than all that, though, hear this. Communion becomes, for those of us who are Christians our opportunity for constant repentance and renewal in our commitment to follow Jesus. In the last century or two, it's become common, at least in some Christian circles, to have people do something called rededicating their life to Jesus. If you've been around the church maybe for some years, you've perhaps seen this. This may be something you have done in different places over the course of your life as well. Though well-intended, rededications like these are often these guilt-laden, borderline, emotionally manipulative, sometimes overtly emotionally manipulative moments where in a frenzy you're, you're like moved to make a commitment that you will, you'll do better. You'll never do that again. You'll be a different person now going forward. Can I, 
can I ask you to consider something? Infinitely better than that is what Jesus has already prescribed, the ordinary means of grace. Don't rededicate your life a few times over the course of your years. Do it every single time you gather with the people of God and come to this table. Repent always. Feast on the grace of Jesus always. Renew your commitment to him always. If you only need to do that a couple times over the course of your life, then you are a far better person than I am. You have a lot more strength of your faith than I do. Fourth, the sacraments are anticipations of Jesus' return and the consummation of all things. So if commemoration, what we talked about earlier, is the rearview mirror vantage point, anticipation is the windshield view. We're looking ahead to what Jesus will do. In baptism, specifically, we anticipate our full washing, our full cleansing. We have been washed by Jesus. And yet, as we all know, we are riddled by sin and its consequences. We all have our pet sins that we go back to over and over again. The things that if we do, if you participate in confession with us each and every week, you find yourself confessing frequently, maybe every week that you're here. Perfection and full cleansing is not yet, and we know that acutely. But when Christ comes again, as Revelation 22 puts it, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by its gates. In the Lord's Supper, then, we anticipate what Revelation 19 calls the marriage supper of the Lamb, the wedding feast of the Lamb. It's the complete and eternal union of Jesus with his people. And we read when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, we read in the gospel accounts of that, that he said to his disciples, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so you and I eat this bread and we drink this cup at the Lord's table until when? As Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians 11, until he comes. Until he comes. So much of the Christian life is intangible. Faith is faith because it's mostly unseen. But in these acts, the intangible becomes tangible. The invisible becomes visible. And we anticipate the day as we participate in these acts where our faith will fully and forever become sight, where our hope will fully and forever become fruition, that our longings will actually be reality. And so lastly, let's not only consider what the sacraments are, let's consider always the difference that they make. And back at the beginning of this text in Colossians chapter 2, Paul starts with this call to the church there at Colossae. And he says, as you have received Christ, now walk in him, rooted like a tree, built up like a building, established in faith, he says, abounding in thanksgiving. He says, don't let anybody or any philosophy or any deceit or tradition derail you and lead you astray from walking with Christ. And any of us who hears that and who's been a Christian for longer than 10 minutes, who knows hardship and trial, and doubt, and discouragement, any of us for whom that's true immediately hears that and replies, how in the world am I going to do that? How am I going to do that? I mean, even one of the songs we sang this morning, I noticed the author's names, one of them recently left. And do we all not know people? And infinitely more painful are the people that are close to us who once made a commitment 
like that and no longer want anything to do with Jesus, have, have by all apparent things that we can see and understand just walked away from that completely? Some of you even perhaps are on the precipice of that right now. And you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you ask, how in the world is anyone able to do this? There is constant pressure from within and from without that seeks to pull us away, to, to uproot what is rooted, to tear down what has been built. So can we, can we stop pretending that that's abnormal? Doubt, wrestling, questioning, these are the normal experiences in the Christian life. The danger is actually not that we would feel these pressures. The danger is that when we do, we'll believe the lie that in those moments we are now far from the grace and the presence of God. And he is not far. He is near. Colossians 2 says that when we come to faith in Christ, we are filled with him. The, the whole fullness of God dwells bodily in him. And then it says, and we are filled in that. In other words, we lack nothing. We need not look anywhere else. But when these internal and external pressures come, our natural tendency is to isolate ourselves, to pull away from God and his people, to cut ourselves off, to, to wait for that to somehow magically sort itself out before we then enter back in. I am pleading with you this morning, don't pull away. Don't cut yourself off. And if you're not there this morning, then help us be a church where people don't feel like they have to. In your weakness, in your doubts, in your ongoing failures to live up to the standards of God, you need, I need to be renewed in his grace and in our union with him constantly. We need to be renewed in our communion with him and with his people. We need the assurance of knowing that Jesus' work actually counts on my behalf. We need to hear and to taste again God's claim on our lives, his pledge, his covenant. This is my body broken, not just in general, but for you. This is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of not just random anonymous people, but for you. When your impulse is to pull away, these are the moments when it's even more important to immerse yourself in the life of the church and to come to this table. These are the moments when it's essential to show up. And I don't say that to you as a pastor who wants to fill seats. I say that to you as a fellow weak and frail human being that knows his desperation for the grace of God and knows the strength that these pressures are, at least at key moments in life. Here in the sacraments, here at this table, the grace of God is held out to you. And what is so often invisible and internal and hard to grasp at is made visible and tangible. You can touch it here. That you may know in a tangible way that you belong to him and not only know it with your mind, but see it with your eyes and hear it with your ears and smell it with your nose and touch it with your fingers and taste it with your tongue. What difference do baptism and the Lord's Supper make? They make all the difference. You want to endure and persevere in the Christian life? Well, here is the grace to endure and persevere. You want to find assurance when your heart condemns you and you're prone to believe lies? Does Jesus' work even count for me? Here is the grace of your blessed assurance. You want to believe that God is working all things out for the good of those who love him when your circumstances scream the opposite of that? 
Well, here is the grace to remember and to anticipate the promises of God and the grace to proclaim that though my faith is weak and fickle, it is not the amount of my faith, but the object of it, Jesus Christ, that matters. And here at this table is a fresh infusion of the very grace of God, a fresh immersion in the inexhaustible well of his salvation. So church, may we recognize the gift that is held out to us in the sacraments. And even now, even now, may the Spirit of God enable us to taste and to see. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. Amen. Let me pray for us. Lord God, thank you for the gifts, and they are gifts, incomparable gifts, of baptism in the Lord's Supper. They are ordinary and yet unfathomably extraordinary means of your grace. By the power of your Spirit, help us to perceive their worth. And weak and frail and needy as we are, strengthen us again by your grace now as we come again, commemorating, anticipating, proclaiming, and participating in your great salvation. And we pray this through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.